As I said two weeks ago when we started this series on John, um, I always get lost in his verbiage. Uh, verse 19 is, is about three lines long, and you have to read it in one breath in order for it to make any sense. For me to understand this passage, I have found it best to start with the word abide. We're going to abide with abide. Get it? Okay. That got a better laugh at Morning Blend. Um, he uses abide four times, once at the beginning. You know, um, how does God's love abide in a person? And at the end, he uses abide three times. He abides in us, we abide in him. While John uses abide frequently, we don't use it that often. When we do, we use it as a negative. I can't abide that language. I can't abide that smell. I can't abide that behavior. I can't abide that kind of music. Yeah. I can't live with it. The story is told of Oscar Wilde when he was on his deathbed. Um, he was lying on his bed, and there were some people gathered around him, and Wilde opened his eyes and looked around the room. And he closed his eyes and he said, either that wallpaper goes or I do. <laughs> he couldn't abide the wallpaper. He couldn't accept it. Abide. Stay. Remain. Wait. Dwell. Are you going to dwell on that all day? You're going to stay with that all day? The end of Paul's love poem in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, faith, hope, and love abide. Other translations have faith, hope, and love remain. These three, you know, after all is said and done, if you're going to sum up anything's, anybody's life, anybody's actions, three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Were they faithful? Were they loving? Were they hopeful? Now there are two prepositions that usually accompany the verb abide. The first is with. Abide with me. We're going to sing that beautiful hymn at the end of this service. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, abide with me. When helpers fail and comforts flee, who will stay with me when I'm alone? Help of the helpless, abide with me. Abide, it's a word of 
hope. It's a word of help. Abide is a word of commitment. To stay and remain with someone is a commitment. Everybody left me. Everybody abandoned me. But she stayed with me. Abide takes a person seriously. It sees the person. It hears the person. It it pays attention to that person. He sat with me. She ate with me. Abide is a word of support. Who's with me? Who's going to be with me on this? Abide is a word of identification. To abide with someone means that we are willing to be associated with them. I saw you with her. And abide is a word of waiting. It's a word of patience. It's a word of hanging in there. I'll wait with you until the ambulance comes. I'll wait with you until your replacement comes. It's a word of dependability. To abide has connotations of home. The beginning of John's gospel, Andrew asked Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? His question is, where is your home? You know, home is about rest. It's about acceptance and healing. It's about nourishment and connection and warmth and safety. It's about belonging and being wanted. I wish I were home. Abiding is about homeness. You know, in the 23rd Psalm, it ends with, Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will abide with God. The opposite of abiding and home is not abiding and homelessness. It's the pain of not being wanted, of not belonging, of not feeling safe. It's not feeling cared for. It's feeling not loved. I don't feel at home here. The first quality of abiding is intimacy. Intimacy is staying with, but it's more than that. It's staying in. John says they abide in him, and he abides in them, and he abides in us. You know, in is closer than with. With is near, but in is in. You know, it's enveloped, it's encompassed, it's under the skin. With is kind of external, but in is internal. Abiding in someone, it's a knowing, it's a real familiarity. 
It goes beyond the resume and it goes beyond the facts. It's knowing someone almost as well, maybe better, than they know themselves. Abiding in is this familiarity that lays down one's life for the other. Now, when John says that, you know, Christ laid down his life for us and we lay down our life for our neighbor, you know, it's, do we die for them? Do we sacrifice for them? Maybe. But I think it also means lay myself open to Lay myself open for. You know, I'm, I'm open to this person. I'm vulnerable before this person. I take a risk in revealing who I really am and letting them know who I really am. Laying myself open. It's letting that person know our hurts and our wants and our strengths and our weaknesses and our doubts and our pain and our fears. It's being known and still loved. It's being known and not being laughed at. There's no pretense. There's no withholding. There's a risk. In intimacy, we can risk failure and disappointment and setbacks because we know we're still gonna be loved. It's foundational and it gives us a fullness to our life. It gives us a wholeness, a sense of completion, a sense of joy. That complicated verse 19 really is just saying, when we lay ourselves open, God is greater than anything we doubt or fear or dread. And that intimacy will see us through. Intimacy is understanding the needs and the wants of the other. It's almost able to predict what the other will say or do. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. It intuits. It speaks the same language. It adopts the same worldview. It adopts the attitude toward life of the other. In John's gospel, when Jesus talks about being the the good shepherd of the sheep, he says, I know the voice of my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. And it's kind of true. You know the other's voice. Sounds like something he'd say, doesn't it? Last week, Colleen talked about chatting as prayer. And prayer is chatting. And I really liked that. Intimacy grows from chatting. Just chatting. Sometimes it's profound, sometimes it's trivial, but it's just chatting with the other. And sometimes in that chatting, there are deep and profound silences. And we can be comfortable in those silences. How do we know if we're intimate with someone? 
Well, we kind of share a spirit with that person. There's a spirit that develops between us. And John says, we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. The spirit, you know, there's an energy and there's a life between people when they're intimate. With intimacy, one plus one equals three. You know, there's more. There's a, there's a, a working together. And when there's no intimacy, one plus one equals less than two. Sometimes it equals less than one. There's no working together. There's no foundation. People who are intimate are on the same page. They're in tune. They work together. They're in sync. They know themselves and they know the other and they know what the other is doing. You know, think of an orchestra. Think of it tuning up before the concert begins. You know, there's this dissonance. It's almost like screeching and scratching. There's no intimacy. Everything sounds out of tune. They're not together. Everybody's going their own way. One plus one equals less than two. But then they, they get in tune and they're ready to play and they're intimate and they produce beautiful music. One plus one is more than three. Now, I thought of that illustration on my own and I thought if I'm wading into music, I better call Chris to see if I'm in sync. So I called Chris on Tuesday and I laid this out and I said, is it true for choirs too for being in harmony? And Chris said, you know, I'm getting ready to talk to the fifth graders about this very topic. Let's see if you can grasp it. And, <laughs> and then he explained it to me. He said, a good choir must have blend and balance. Blend. You fit your voice in with your section. You know your part. Balance is knowing each of the other sections, each of the other voices. It knows what the other is doing. So it's not enough just to know the bass. One must also know the alto and the soprano and the tenor. That blend and balance in relationship is abiding in and with each other. It's intimacy. How'd I do, Chris? Okay, thank you. <laughs> when we are intimate, we know what the other desires. Have you ever gotten a gift and you look at it and you think, well, that's nice, but they don't know me. They don't understand me. Why would they think I like a sweater with fish heads on it? Yeah. 
There's no intimacy here. There's, we're like strangers. With intimacy, we know what the other wants. They don't have to tell us. They don't have to command us. Remember when our kids were little, they used to shop at the Santa store at the elementary school to get Susan and me Christmas presents. One year, Maria got me a blue tie that was striped. And I said, well, honey, why did you get this tie? And she said, because you wear striped ties. Another year, Nick got me a really thick book on John Adams. And he said, I said, why did you get me this thick book on John Adams? And he said, because you read thick books. <laughs> and I thought those kids were paying attention. We have a degree of intimacy here. John says, if we're intimate with God, we know what God wants. He says, if, if we abide in God and God is in us, God knows what we want. And God knows what we need. This intimacy transforms us. It shapes us. John begins this passage with, how can you say that God abides with you yet not feed the hungry? How can you say that God, that you are intimate with God and not know what God wants? How can we say we're intimate with our neighbor and not know what our neighbor wants? How can a person say God loves, abides in her and not know that God wants her to love her neighbor, that God wants her to reach across the aisle, that God wants her to care for creation. They're not in sync. They're not in tune. There's no blend and balance. If God has to command me, that's a sign I'm not intimate with God. If you have to tell me I'm not paying attention. That one doesn't have to be told is a sign of intimacy. That one doesn't have to be told but knows what is pleasing to the other and what is pleasing to God. Susan has told me on more than one occasion that if a person is in love, if a person experiences intimacy, if they experience that sense of homeness and being in sync, 
It affects their spirit. And their spirit overflows in love. And they share that love with others. They share that homeness with others. They are willing to open and risk because they have a foundation in love. They share their wholeness and their joy. They share the music of God's love. This is what John calls loving in truth and action. May it be so. Amen.